Good morning, y'all. Thank you very much for joining today's live podcast. Uh, it's been a little bit of a break hiatus that we took, and uh, I came back last week and actually had some technical glitches, which have now been fixed. So I'm very happy um, about that and to be with you all. Um, so my name is Dana. I'm from DAS Financial Aid Consulting Services and Financial Aid Compliance Solutions. Basically what I do is, is I am hired by career and technical schools to train their financial aid advisors on compliance. And uh, I make sure that the files that are received from students have the correct information on them per department guidelines and are also awarded accurately so that when they have schools have their annual audits uh, there is no issue with the files and the money being in jeopardy of being returned and then the schools have to contact the students to let them know that their aid it was not valid so that's what i do um in in my podcast i try to provide tips to financial aid advisors as well as students college students and their parents um, on how to uh, basically how the system works um, i pick a topic and uh, go over it and today's topic i decided uh would be a good one is uh, the 12 most pertinent items a financial aid advisor should go over with students regarding their financial aid offers. Now, um, there there is an article that I'm referencing here. It was under uh, it was published by Forbes Advisor, I should say, and it's uh, entitled 12 Financial Aid Questions to Ask Your College. So I'm doing it on the flip side with regards to how financial aid advisors should basically sit down with their students and go over their financial aid offers that they have presented to the student based on um, their FAFSA application. So what we're going to do um, today is go over those uh, 12 items and uh, go forward uh, with uh, some tips and suggestions that I have for y'all. Uh, the first one is, is, when should I apply for financial aid? Now, the financial aid advisors are going to tell their students, depending on when they're enrolling, in what FAFSA to complete. Currently, we are working on the 2020-2021 award year. So, if you are currently enrolling in a career school or technical school with a start date prior to July 1st, you are going to want to complete the 2020-2021 FAFSA as well as the 21-2022 FAFSA. The reason for that is because depending on your tax information provided income earned from work and other untaxed income, which is two years prior, so for 2020, 2021, we're using 2018 income tax information, and this is federal income tax, not state income tax information, income earned from work or other untaxed income. And that will, again, apply to the 2020, 2021 FAFSA. If you are completing the 21, 2022 FAFSA, you are going to be using 2019 federal income tax information as well as income earned from work 
and also other untaxed income. If you have any questions with regards to the information that is needed, I'm going to direct you to Google the 2020-2021 FAFSA, and it'll bring up a PDF form. And that's the same for the 2021-2022 FAFSA. You're going to want to review the PDF form so that you know what questions are being asked. And when you go to apply, which you'll apply through fafsa.ed.gov, you're going to be applying online. So you're already going to know what the questions are um, as an overview, if you will, before you actually go in to complete the FAFSA. I'm going to tell you also that if you are considered a dependent student, which is typically a student that is 24 years of age or younger, so I'm sorry, if you're 24 years of age, you're on the cusp. So it depends on when your um, birthday is, which again will be on the FAFSA application. Um, but typically anyone under 24 years of age is considered a dependent student, which would require your parental information on the application. Now parents and students both, when they complete their sections of the FAFSA, have login inf uh, login setups. So meaning you have FSA ID, that stands for Federal Student Aid Identification. So each, uh, the student would set up their FAFSA ID, or FSA ID, I should say, and the parents should set up their FSA ID. That information is separate, and the student should not be going in and completing the parent's information. I'm just going to put it out there. And the reason for that is, is because if you are a student who did not work in 2018 or 2019, you're going to be a non-filer, whereas your parents probably filed a federal income tax. And if they filed a federal income tax, then we encourage all parents and students if they did file a federal income tax and their spouses if married to utilize what is called the IRS data retrieval tool. And in order to utilize that, you need to provide information to confirm you are the taxpayer whose information is gonna be pulled in from the IRS to the FAFSA. And only your parents would have that information or again, if you're a student or spouse. So just go over the PDF forms uh, for the applications, the FAFSA applications before you go in to complete them. It'll be um, a lot easier. And if you have any questions whatsoever, you can contact a representative at fafsa.ed.gov and they are there to help you um, with, the, with any questions that you may have. Now, typically what will happen is, is once you fill out the FAFSA and submit it for processing, every, every FAFSA that you complete, you're going to have, and you only complete it once, but you enter a school code that you are intending on enrolling, and that school has to be in what we call the Title IV program uh, in order to receive the financial aid from the United States Department of Education. So once that FAFSA is received by the institution, they are going to review that application and it may be selected for a process 
which is a compliance process called verification. And verification happens uh, with three statuses. It's going to be either a V1, a V4, or a V5. And the school will let you know um, what is needed, but there is paperwork that you will need to provide to the school. And typically there's a worksheet. It's called a verification worksheet, whether you're an independent student or a dependent student. Each award year is going to have their own. And you also may have to provide signed copies of the actual tax return, the federal tax returns that you submitted um, to the IRS uh, for processing. If you are a parent of a dependent student and are selected for V1 or V5 and did not file a tax return in either 2018 or 2019, you will be required to confirm your non-filer status by obtaining a verification of non-filing status uh, letter confirmation from the IRS. Um, and if for some reason you're unable to obtain that verification, then you um, are able to confirm it with a self-certifying statement, um, but you need to talk to your students financial aid advisor that's been assigned to you with regards to how that all works. That covers some of the paperwork that may be required. There may be other paperwork that is required to complete the verification, um, or it's there's also C code resolutions uh, for either U.S. citizenship, um, it could be for selective service, um, or it could be for um, loan discharge status, it could be for um, other, uh, let's see, Social Security might have an issue with uh, confirming um, the information. So you may have to provide confirmation of your Social Security card and the name that's on the Social Security card. Uh, let's see, what else could there be? Oh, aggregate loan limits. That's been a big one lately. And uh, that's for those students who have been students for a considerable amount of time, meaning over a period of award years, and, and are edging towards their aggregate loan limits, which are set by the uh, Department of Education. Uh, the Department of Education sets those aggregate loan limits at $57,500 for independent students, and that is a combined aggregate loan limit. 23,000 would be in a subsidized loan and 34,500 would be in an unsubsidized loan and that is for undergrads at the, that figure is for undergrads. If you are a dependent student, your combined aggregate loan limits are set at 31,000, which is 23,000 for a subsidized loan and then it would be 18,000 for an unsubsidized loan. So just to give you a little bit more of an idea of some paperwork that might be, might be asked for to be provided by your financial aid advisor to get your aid processed. And you don't wanna delay. If they contact you and ask you for paperwork, do not delay in getting that paperwork to them because your aid eligibility could be in jeopardy. And the reason for that is, is for one reason, there are deadlines um, that the department sets 
And there's also state deadlines, uh, depending on what state you are in. Um, so you're going to want to be up on that. Um, state deadlines are actually located and outlined on the FAFSA PDF form uh, on the very first page. So look on that first page, look for your state, and you're going to see where your state deadlines are. Uh, with regards to the FAFSA deadline, we're coming up on the 2020-2021 deadline to complete the FAFSA, which is June 30th. And do not wait until June 30th to complete it. Just in case there is an issue with the system, you do not want to try to complete it on June 30th and miss the deadline because you, timing-wise, wherever you were in the country completing it, you submitted it and it didn't get processed. Or there might be a technical glitch and you're not able to process it. Just do it before June 30th. As of June 30th, no other... Um, 2020, 2021 applications can be submitted. And um, again, if you didn't get your application submitted or you did submit it and you don't have a valid EFC, you need to get that corrected to get a valid EFC, which stands for Estimated Family Contribution, uh, so that you are able to have your aid eligibility determined by your school. Um, with regards to uh, that information, when you submit your paperwork, just make sure that all of the paperwork has been received. Um, and I will tell you that there are some career schools that do, and, and other traditional uh, colleges and universities that use what is called a third-party processor to review the paperwork that is submitted to make sure your files are in compliance um, before they are awarded. And the awards sometimes are also processed by those third-party servicers as well. You, as a student or parent, would not be able to contact that third-party servicer. Typically, they're hired by the institution and they only work for the institution, so that means that you would have to go through the financial aid advisor that's been assigned to you um, in order to ask any questions. So just um, make sure that you're up on that. Um, the other item that I want to go over quickly is regards to net price calculators. Those are on all school websites that are in the Title IV program. And basically what they do is they estimate the cost of attendance based on the students and family income and other factors. So the amount of the money the school has for financial aid can differ quite a bit from year to year. So you're going to want to ask about the accuracy of the net price calculator. Um, so that can tell you the amount of money the school has available for scholarships and grants and whether or not it's similar to um, prior years. Um, also, you're going to want to ask and offer your students um, scholarships that are available to them. Uh, to be able to apply for and scholarships for free money as well as Pell Grant money. Pell Grant money doesn't have to be paid back where student loans do have to be paid back. And uh, just keep in mind that when you are taking out student loans, you want to be fully aware of the amount of money that you are taking out. And the reason why I'm pointing that out is, is because for a student, your maximum for your first year um, 
And if you are going into a certificate program and that certificate program is a clock hour program, uh, meaning that if you're just say a cosmetology student and you're going into a program that's 1500 hours in length, your first year is composed of 900 hours. Typically that's the what they call academic year definition uh, for a 1500 hour program. Um, it differs in some states, so you just want to be aware of that. Um, but typically, $3,500 is going to be the subloan amount, whether you're an independent or dependent student. If you're a dependent student, $2,000 is your unsub amount without a plus denial confirmed. Um, and for an independent student or a dependent student with a plus denial confirmed, it's $6,000. So for first year independence combined, $9,500 is available in student loans. And if you are a dependent student, it would be $5,500 for combined loans for your first year. Those loans aren't free. When you apply for those loans, there is an origination fee involved. And right now that percentage for the origination fee is at 1.057. That means when a dependent student takes out $5,500, they are paying $58.13 to have those loans originated through the system. If you have a parent that is going to be taking out a PLUS loan and applying for that, they also pay an origination fee, which is currently at 4.228%. That means on a $10,000 loan, they are going to pay $422.80 in an origination fee. Now I understand that uh, there has been some discussion in the government that they want to do away with origination fees. And I'm just going to put it out there that don't hold your breath with regards to doing away with origination fees. You cannot go anywhere to any bank and not pay origination fees. You pay origination fees on your mortgage. You pay origination fees on your installment loans, You pay, which include car loans. So you, the, there has to be money made and for the loan money that's being borrowed. And the reason for that is, is because these loans are being funded by taxpayer dollars. So that's a whole nother discussion for another show, but I'm just letting you know that the first rule of economics is, is nothing's free. And that's true. Someone's always paying. So if you hear something is free, it's technically not free because somewhere, some way, someone has had to pay. Um, so I just wanted to, to put that out there. And also that means that when you receive your disbursements, so let's go back to the subsidized loan disbursement, $3,500 breaks down to two disbursements of $1,750. But if you subtract out the origination fee, your payment, your disbursements are really $1,732 per disbursement but you're still going to be paying $3,500 in a loan. So that's how that works. Um, and so again, I look for scholarships, any scholarships that you can apply for. And I've said this time and time again, um, the resource that I utilize for scholarships, and if you are on Twitter, follow them. 
It's scholarships360.org, and they are fabulous. That company, um, they put out on average, on a daily average, I say at least eight to 10 tweets a day with regards to scholarships that are available. So I highly recommend that you uh, put put in them in and follow them um, so that you can um, get as much information with regards to scholarships. And, and they run the gamut. Even if you go to their website, scholarships360.org, uh, you'll be able to um, see what they have to offer. Um, and, you know, it, typically it even runs from if you're in high school as a uh, junior, a senior, or even a college student, they're going to have something available for you. So, so take a look at that. I highly encourage that. Um, some schools also provide uh, or require students in their families to fill out CSS profiles. Just uh, make sure that you inform your students if and families uh, whether or not that CSS profile needs to be filled out. And it's, again, um, going over detailed questions about finances. And it should be filled out as early as possible, just like the FAFSA. So when you're completing the FAFSA, if your school requires the CSS profile to be completed, make sure that you complete that in a timely manner as well. Um, as far as being able to uh, challenge a financial aid award. If you are applying to more than one institution and you've received uh, different offers, and you can go to, if the school that you're looking, you're really interested in attending, didn't give you as good an offer as another school that you applied to and you're not planning on attending, you could go to that school and say, hey, look, this is what I received as an offer at this school. Can you match it? Um, or is there something that we can work out? And more than likely, they'll be able to um, work with you with that. Now, having said that, there's also um, times during the year where there's more money that's made available um, at institutions. So you also want to talk to your financial aid advisor about that. Right now, there's been a lot of talk um, about the CARES Act and um we know it as HERF. Um, there is a third disbursement of HERF that was put out there. So make sure that all of your students and students, you make sure that you're in touch with your financial aid advisors about the eligibility um, for that funding. Especially um, now, they just overwrote the um, undocumented, undocumented students are available. DACA students are now available to receive HERF funding. So um, if you fall into that category, you're going to want to contact your financial aid office with regards to that. Um, there's other on-campus offices that can also help you with your um, college funding. So there's uh, career services that each uh, institution, typically those departments are available to you. So go and talk to them about doing federal work study or uh, work study to help with your um, paying for your college education because every little bit helps. Also, private scholarships, um, those can affect your financial aid award depending on how much you receive in a private scholarship. 
but that all depends on how the award letter is factored. So again, depending on if you do get a private scholarship, your financial aid office is going to be able to tell you if um, your federal student aid is affected. I can tell you, though, that your Pell Grant's going to be first and foremost not affected. Uh, your loans may be affected as far as your eligibility goes, but that only means that they'll reduce the amount of loans that you're taking, which would be a good thing because then you're not having to pay back um, a large amount of loans. So again, scholarships, just look, as, look for them where you can find them. Uh, there are multiple ways to pay for college beyond financial aid. Again, scholarships are one, grants, state grants. I know the state of Maine offers a number of grants. Uh, so again, just make sure that you are checking into what your state has to offer um, with regards to grants. And um, if they're available to you, make sure you apply. Um, what is critical is to make sure that before you accept your financial aid offer and before um, a financial aid offer is signed by a student, everyone needs to make sure that you understand what your federal aid offer is, how much you're gonna be paying back uh, with regards to uh, loans, how much you're gonna be receiving uh, and what is expected when you graduate because there's a time frame from the time you graduate to the time you go into repayment if you have federal student loans out there. And I'm going to tell you that it's a six-month time frame. So from your date of graduation, six months, you're going to be contacted by a loan servicer to go into repayment uh, for your loans. So make sure that you are prepared to start repaying your loans. Make sure that your information is up to date, meaning your mailing information meaning they have your right email address. And uh, also make sure that you're looking in your spam folders in case uh, you have emails going to the spam folder uh, because you're gonna wanna make sure that you start repaying these loans on time so that um, your credit that you, you credit rating uh, does not get um, devalued um, in any way. Um, there's also, again, more times during the year that financial aid, there's more financial aid that become available. I know in September there can be financial aid becoming available because students who said that they were going to attend the institution may not have gone forward and started their enrollment. So there may be more financial aid available. Also, the month of December, there may be more financial aid available um, to students because January classes that are or January enrollments um, I know with career and technical schools, they have rolling enrollments, which means that sometimes every two weeks they're enrolling students or every um, other month they're enrolling students. So don't be afraid to ask if there's more money out there. And lastly, um, I just want to put out there with regards to um, interest rates. Now, interest rates right now for those loans that have already been dispersed prior to July 1st are on hold right now. They're on hold until September 30th, which is part of the CARES Act extension. But loans will be going into repayment and loan rates are going to be going up. Now, with regards to loans that are being applied for and are going to be dispersed on July 1st of this year, or after and before July 1st of 2022, 
The interest rates have been published and they are fixed interest rate. So the fixed interest rate for direct subsidized loans and unsubsidized loans for undergrads are 3.73. For direct unsubsidized loans for graduate and professional students, that is at 5.28%. And direct plus loans for parents of dependent undergraduate students or graduate or professional students has been set at 6.28%. You can find that information um, located at fsapartners.ed.gov, and it was published in an uh, electronic announcement on May 19th. So if you're looking for that information, I want to thank everybody for attending today's podcast. It's great to be back, and uh, I hope everyone has a safe uh, Memorial Day weekend. Um, Memorial Day uh, is one of those uh, days that uh, is near and dear to my heart um, because my grandfather, actually several, both of my grandfathers um, and uncles uh, were in World War II. I have one grandfather that also was in Korea. Um, so, and then we have uh, several friends that were also in Vietnam. So, and then we also have um, several uh, cousins that were in um, most recently the Afghanistan and Iraq war. So um, with all having said that, let's just uh, make sure that we remember um, those that we've lost and uh, have a great weekend. And I'm so happy uh, to be back. And uh, as always, if you want to get in touch with me, just contact me at D. Anderson at DAS Financial Aid Consulting Services.com. I'm on uh, Insta at DASFA1215. Uh, you can locate me on LinkedIn under my name, Dana Anderson. And I'm also on Facebook under Dana Anderson Sharples. Uh, that's my personal page. And then DAS Financial Aid Consulting Services. Financial Aid Compliance Solutions has its own page. So take care, everybody. Have a great weekend.